Um, so um, we're concluding our series today. We've been looking at uh, eight ways to a blessed life. We've been looking at the Beatitudes and uh, the Beatitudes that Jesus taught on the Sermon of the Mount. And as you'll have noticed as we've gone through them, um, they're so contrary to the world's view of what it is to be happy and to be blessed. That in a world that continually pursues being happy via any means possible, it's like we've got to be happy. Oh, I've got to find the formula to being happy. Jesus states we are Makarios. Um, it's not that our blessing is a feeling of happiness all the time and we live in this lovely fairy land, but it's actually that um, it is a reality. It is a state of being that as followers of Jesus, we are blessed. And then what we've done over the weeks is we've shown what this blessed life looks like through all these different kinds of beatitudes that Jesus has taught. And I've been really challenged by so much of what's been said. And I thought it's just reminded us, um, you know, the Christian life, right, it's not a part of our lives. It transforms every aspect of our lives. Being a Christian is our whole identity. And everything comes from that place of following Jesus. Everything comes from that place. Um, it changes our whole life. And it's my job today is to conclude this series with the final beatitude. I've got that joyful topic of uh, blessed are the persecuted. Um, and I've been really challenged writing this. Um, because let's be honest, I'm going to tangents near. We're not very persecuted, if we're being honest. In terms, we might have some kind of persecution in our in our lives, but compared to a lot of the world, we are not particularly very persecuted. And God's been challenging me big time over this. So let's read what Jesus says in, uh, in Matthew 5, 10 to 12. This is what it says. This is Jesus' final beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So just when you thought this series wasn't challenging enough, Jesus tells us that we're blessed when we're persecuted. So we're going to get even more challenged over the next half hour. And for anyone who was wondering, well, what does it mean to be persecuted? Well, the word used there, the Greek word used is dioko. And it, can, it has many connotations, this word. But it can mean, these are the descriptions of what it can mean, to trouble, to harass, to molest, to mistreat someone, to make someone run or flee, to put to flight or to drive away. So basically, when we talk about persecution, it means any form of cruelties on the cards, any form whatsoever. It's a vast description of it. And you know, as we've talked about this series about eight ways to a blessed life, and we tried to give that ironic title of how uh, motivational speakers try and give you all this about how to be happy in eight ways, I would love them to try and twist this one to say, you are happy if you are persecuted. Because it is so contrary to what the world wants. It is so contrary. We, we as people, we naturally want a comfortable life. 
We want to be popular. We want to have an easy life. You know, and I don't think necessarily in a lot of ways, I think that's natural as humans. But the fact is, is that Jesus says you're blessed when people insult us, when people persecute us, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against us. Now, why does Jesus say this? Is it because he wants us to be unpopular? Or is it that he's a masochist and he wants us to be persecuted? Well, no, absolutely not. It's also too important to remember that Jesus in this passage doesn't say, you're blessed when people insult you when you've been rude to them. He doesn't say, you're blessed. He doesn't say, go out of your way to be argumentative. Go out of your way to be dislikable. Go out of your way to be confrontational. And go out of your way to be segregated from others. He doesn't say that in this passage either. You know, it's scriptural to extend the same grace to people that has been extended to us. To treat people as we want to be treated. Jesus is also not saying that uh, persecution is being punished for something we've done wrong. You know, he, um, I remember when I was a teenager and I was probably having one of my uh, mood swings and um, it did happen. And um, in that time, you know, maybe in times when I've been grounded or sent to my room or something taken off me. And I remember like just in those hormonal moody phases shouting, mom and dad, you hate me. Why are you doing this to me? Feeling like cause I was persecuted by them. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about either. What Jesus is saying is saying you're blessed when you're persecuted because of righteousness. You're blessed when you're persecuted because of him. And it's not that we should actively look for persecution. It's rather saying that when you follow him with all you have, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be slandered and you're going to be persecuted in some way. Jesus brings us life in all its fullness. Following Jesus is the best possible life, trust me. But he never, ever said that you're going to have a carefree life. In fact, he promised that we'd have troubles. And uh, Acts 14.22 states that Paul and Barnabas strengthened the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So I'm going to argue today that hardships and persecution are the hallmark of a Christian just as much as being pure in heart or merciful is. And I can't say that like if I don't believe it. And that's what I mean, God, I feel, has really been pushing this on my heart. It's faith-building stuff that I'm sharing today, isn't it? But why is persecution a hallmark of our faith? Well, I just want us to look at the last seven things that we've looked at, right? And just look at the contrast. Because in a world that celebrates pride and independence, Jesus says we're blessed as poor in spirit. We're blessed as people who know that we need God. It's completely contrary. In a world that looks for happiness at all cost, Jesus says we're blessed as we break, mourn the things that break his heart. In a culture that is all about getting to the top, having power, being number one, Jesus says we're blessed when we're meek and humble. In a society that is about pursuing personal needs, Jesus says we're blessed as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. When many people find it so hard to forgive others, Jesus says we are blessed when we are merciful. In a society where it's all about looking good, 
at all costs, putting our filters on. Jesus says we're blessed as the pure in heart, people who single-mindedly pursue God with all their life. And when so many people prioritize their own peace or appeasing others in the world, Jesus says we're blessed as peacemakers, people who reconcile people to God and to others. You see, Jesus' values and the world's values are like chalk and cheese. They're completely at odds with each other. So when we live according to his values, according to his mandate, we're going to stand out. We're going to look different. We are completely going to look different. And that was always Jesus' plan for us. Let's look at the next words he says straight after this beatitude, if you put the next slide on. Directly after that, this is what he says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus says that we are salt and we are light. Now the point of salt is to add flavour and the point of light is to shine. And as I thought about it, there are very few things that are worse than flavourless salt. If you put flavourless salt on your chips... Your chips will still taste rubbish and you will just get high blood pressure. There is no actual use for flavourless salt. There's no use for light that is covered. Zero use for it whatsoever. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that we are called to shine and be effective in a dark world. But unfortunately, when we shine, the reaction isn't always going to be good. And the reason for that is because what it does is it highlights light from darkness. It's, gonna, it's not always going to be good. And that's when persecution comes, when those value systems clash. If you put the next slide on, John Stott said this quote, uh, persecution is the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. And I think that, that that's, if you wanted to sum it up in a sentence, that gives it. And we see that clash throughout the Beatitudes. Last week, Mum talked about being peacemakers, living as people who want to connect the disconnected to God. You know, that sounds an amazing thing, but I've got to tell you now, the world does not applaud us for doing that. It attacks us. The amount of times I've heard, oh, it's the God squad brainwashing people again. We do not get praise for trying to connect people to God from the world. Um, Jesus, it's quite ironic, isn't it? Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. He talks about us being a peacemaker, and in the very next sentence, he says, you're going to be persecuted. (laughs) You'd think that being a peacemaker would lead to peace. But instead, it attracts persecution. (laughs) It's not because we're a bit weird. It's because it points to Jesus, and the darkness fights back. Naomi shared about pursuing righteousness. I'm a massive advocate of displaying righteousness to the lost and the least, through social action. I'm passionate about it. And my personal experience is, if I do something in the world, like if I go and 
show some kindness to people, if I offer them a listening service and listen to them, the world's going to celebrate that. They're going to love that act of righteousness because they think it's a nice and good thing to do. The minute I say the only way to truly hunger righteousness is through pursuing Jesus, the world will forget all the nice things that I've done previously and attack you for it. And the reality is, is that Jesus says we're going to be persecuted because of righteousness because only he's righteous. It points to him. If it doesn't point to him, it's not righteousness, full stop. Um, righteousness is the very thing that we're called to hunger for. That's what, that's what it said, bless the hunger. And then, then we get told that the very thing that we're called to hunger for is the very thing that's going to lead us to persecution. <laughs> we're going to be persecuted because of righteousness. And in a Western world, there are genuine ways that we are challenged and ridiculed for our faith. There are completely genuine ways. You know, I'm sure many of us have been mocked, called a hypocrite, maybe called judgmental for being a Christian, maybe perhaps lost friendships because people just don't get it or they just don't see you in that way. You know, we're continually asked to nail our colours to the mast over certain subject, subjects, right? And, and, and one thing I'm going to say is, is, is about uh, sex and gender and those kind of things. We're continually asked to nail our colours on the mast. And, and what I think with it is, is that I've yet to have a conversation with someone who's not a Christian who's asking it me just to ask my point of view. It's like I feel like I'm being asked my point of view so they can catch me out, so they can question me. It's like an attack. It doesn't feel like it's a conversation. It feels like people are wanting you to say something to catch you out. There's other subtle ways that we get done. The other week, Rachel and myself, um, we, um, we were challenged at our, uh, our school about our anti-Halloween stance. And um, there, are, there are many ways we'll all say that we've been questioned and opposed in certain way. But the reality is, is that whatever way that we can come up with in this world that we live in, it's minimal compared to the persecution that happens in other parts of the world. If you just put the next slide on. These are according to Open Doors. Um, this is last year, 2022. 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith. That's approximately 15 a day. That, that's not, right, what I have to say with these figures are, the figures are far higher if you say it's people who are murdered and attacked or displaced who are Christians. These are people who have been, these things have been done to exclusively because of their faith. This is that, and there's a big difference there. So 5,621 Christians were murdered for their faith last year. That's 15 a day. 2,110 churches were attacked or closed in the world. 140,000 Christians were displaced from their country because of their faith. We're not including stuff like Ukraine there, where that's, they've been displaced because of a war. These are people who've been thrown out of their country because they follow Jesus. There are 11 countries that face extreme persecution and over 50 that face what's known as very high persecution. And if you want an idea of what that means, it affects these kind of ways of their everyday life. It affects their private life. So they have no freedom of thought. They're not free in their country to convert to Christianity. They don't have a freedom to worship and there's not a freedom to own religious material like, say, a Bible. 
It affects their family life. There's no freedom to express their faith within their family. They can't even hold family Christian milestones like Christian weddings or funerals. It affects their community life. They're harassed and discriminated in local communities. It impacts their education and their employment. It affects the national life. The government doesn't allow Christians to express their faith. So if you convert yourself, if you become converted to Christianity, um, you're not allowed to put that on an official document. It's not allowed to be part of your identity. Police would target the Christians in that country. It affects your church life. You know, they can't meet together in, legally in a setting like we are right now. They can't build churches. And if they are allowed, they're heavily monitored. And obviously, the main one that we mostly know about is the violence, where Christians are attacked mentally, physically, sexually, arrested, abducted, tortured, imprisoned, or even killed. Their faith. And when I hear these statistics and facts, I'm completely broken and I'm completely challenged by this. Because behind every statistic that I've just said is actually a genuine human life that is suffering because they follow Jesus. And it should make us do two specific things. Um, as it should lead us to pray, firstly. Pray for the persecuted church. You know, you can do so, subscribe to Open Doors um, and their newsletters. They keep you updated on world situations. They give you a prayer diary so you can pray for something specific. Sandra and George, they, you guys run um, a prayer meeting every month. Ask, ask them about that. Come along to that if you're free or attend it. But you know what? It's just as important. Uh, as much to pray for the persecuted church and this is far more challenging it's pray for the persecutors you know this is what jesus says in matthew 5 45 to 46 jesus says love your enemies pray for those who persecute you in that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike it's such a challenging prayer. I know when I've been mocked for being a Christian in, in this world, the last thing I want to do is pray a nice prayer over that person. Trust me. I want to pray justice to come down. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus, when he was persecuted on the cross, says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We want to pray that the persecutors turn to Jesus themselves. But the second thing that persecution should do, and this is bringing it back to us here in Little Lever in 2023, is it should wake us up from our own comfort. I'm going to get, oh, hobby horse, Johnny boy. Um, we have a privilege of choosing if we come to church or not. Go and live in a country where you're not allowed to go and do it. And then think if you can't get here on a Sunday morning at 10.30. I mean, it's outrageous. This is, these are freedoms in our life. Do you know what I mean? That Sorry if I go in a bit OTT on that. But I'm so thankful that we don't face persecution here in that way. But I do think our relative comfort as Western Christians can easily dampen our own faith and our effectiveness. I really do. Because what it does is, is that when we hear this, the comfort that we live in, it actually makes us think about what we could lose. 
We could lose our lifestyle, our popularity, our status, our possessions. And the point is, is, is that for some reason, Jesus says we're blessed when we're persecuted. I'm here to bring hope this morning, believe me. And um, that's because he says, blessed are the persecuted because ours is the kingdom of heaven. It's no coincidence that the first beatitude we looked at and the last beatitude has the same promise that blessed are ours because ours is the kingdom of heaven. It's the promise that ours is the place where King Jesus rules and reigns and everything in our lives in this life begins and ends with Jesus. The point is, is that we gain him. And the problem is that I think that when we're in a society like this sometimes, that statement can actually be devalued. It's not that it, we just become desensitized to it because a persecuted Christian who's stripped of all their basic human rights knows physically what it is to have nothing else to boast or rely on, that Christ genuinely is all they have. They've become poor in spirit once again. Persecution leads us to become poor in spirit. It reminds us that whatever we lose here on earth, we shall inherit everything in heaven. The point is, is that the Beatitudes are a cycle. They're not just a one-off set of teachings. They're a mandate to live by. And we have a choice as we conclude this series, what we do. We can remember it as a decent series or analyze whatever in it. Or we can choose to go all in and live, what, as Jesus says, in every aspect. And live by those kingdom principles. And we'll stand out. And we'll face questioning. And we'll face opposition. Probably not at the extremity that we've heard about from other countries. But we'll still be left with that choice at that place of opposition. Do we retreat and become a bit less of an extreme Christian? Or do we stand, put our armour on, and become poor in spirit once again? And know that all we have is Christ. Do we understand that everything that goes on here is temporary compared to the eternal promise that ours is the kingdom of heaven. The value of gaining his kingdom far outweighs the cost of what we may lose here. And in that time of hardship and opposition, I just want to finish with this. I want to encourage you to pursue God and press on, if you just put that slide on. When I made that up, I was like, that's one of them keep calm and carry on things. And I could found a website where like, I could change that to that. I want that on a mug. Pursue God and press on. And, and I love that. And this is the thing, right? That word that means persecution, that Greek word, dioko, right? It's got multiple meanings. And it's used in other parts of the New Testament to use as different things. So in 1 Timothy 6.11, it says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That word pursue is the same Greek word, dioko, as it was for persecute. In Philippians 3.14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That Greek word, dioko, is the same word. It means press on. 
It's like, you know, if you wanted to go into, I don't know, Sherlock Holmes territory of looking through the Bible and all that, and going through some of the mysteries, it's like the keys are there. Pursue and press on in the midst of persecution. Those words, both those words are from Paul. He was one of the main persecutors of the Christian church. And he became one of the most persecuted Christians. Because he pursued God, knowing that God can take the very evil of persecution and use it to build our faith. We've got to realize that we're never alone in persecution. We have brothers all over the brothers and sisters all over the world. But like the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah, or the apostles who rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus in Act 5. Or even the German Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed in 1945 for denouncing Hitler and stating that Christ was the head of the church. These people stood for Christ against mass opposition. And I believe that they are like that cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on right now, knowing that whatever's going on temporary on this earth and our own temporary comforts is nothing compared to the eternal glory in Christ. And that is why we've got to stand, guys. There's a common theme that the church grows during times of high persecution. And I just think it's because Christians have that glimpse that Christ is all they have, reality of that. They have a glimpse of how much the kingdom of heaven's theirs and how much God uses his people when we do all go all in. Everything is temporary. Everything with Christ is eternal. And I want to finish with a story from Open Doors about a boy called Sang in Vietnam. And Vietnam's a place of high persecution. It's not a place of extreme persecution. And at the end, I just want us to do two things. Firstly, I want to pray for the persecuted church in the world. I think we've got to. But then I want us to pray that it wakes us up. And encourage us to live out these beatitudes as Christ calls us to. To stand in a dark world. To not shirk back in the face of opposition, but to be effective salt and light in a needy world. To realise that whatever traumas we go through here, whatever opposition we have here, is temporary compared to the kingdom that is eternal. This is an amazing story of Sang in Vietnam. When Sang gave his life to Jesus in 2011, it ushered in a decade of persecution not only for him, but for his mother, who wasn't even a Christian. Sang was age 14 when he made the decision that infuriated his father, who saw it as a betrayal of the father's animist background. But Sang was resolute, forcing his father to keep changing tack to get him to change his mind. One attempt involved getting Sang to attend military school. I told him that I will follow his will to enter that school, but I will not give up my faith, recalls Sang. To his father's dismay, Sang was not admitted because he's a Christian. When I wouldn't back down, my dad persecuted my mother instead, he continued. She was beaten and verbally abused. Little did my father know that she supported my faith and she wanted to convert, but she was afraid of him. Sang left home to become a pharmacist, but by the time he graduated, he realised that his passion was church work. 
He wanted to go to Bible school run by Open Doors Local Partners. But his father was livid, threatening to kill him, his mother, or himself if he went. Sang courageously went, and although his dad didn't follow through on his threats, the hostility remained. Sometimes I wondered, why not just obey my dad to have an easier life? There were times I thought of giving up, but it would occur to me that if I die, I'll be full of despair and without hope. So I got up and continued to follow Christ. If I die, I want to die in and for Christ. Sang's perseverance led to an amazing answer to prayer. My father was my biggest persecutor, but he was also my biggest miracle. In 2021, he and my mother became Christians. My father saw a huge transformation in me since I returned from Bible school. And today, Sang travels to remote regions to disciple new believers and evangelize. Key to his ministry is prayer, both his and yours. Prayer makes me become more faithful in the Lord and it deepens my relationship with him. It makes me strong, especially in tough situations. He says other people praying for me is important too. When someone prays for me, they're like my partners in this job. I'm not alone. I believe that the one who prays for me has the same vision as me. Why don't we stand? And Lord, as we look at a topic that I openly... I have only a slightest idea of the traumas that people actually go through in following you. I firstly thank you for the promise that you said, blessed are the persecuted for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I thank you that those people who stand for you and it costs them their life, They are with you now, Lord God, and you are with the people who are suffering right now, Father God. Lord, we just pray for the countries and the Christians in those countries where the basic human rights have been taken away because of their faith. Lord, we're broken for them. I ask, Lord, would you break our hearts for them, Lord God? I ask that we never become complacent over our relative comforts as Christians here in the UK. I pray that people like Sang, people in many other countries, will be encouraged and know the prayers of your people all across the world for them, Lord God. And I thank you that in the midst of persecution, your church is growing. Some of the fastest growing churches are in some of these persecuted countries. I thank you that these people are so inspiring. They're all in. They understand what it is that Christ is really all they have. And Lord, as I say these words, I ask that you stir us up. 
that you stir us up, that we live out these beatitudes, Lord God, that we're salt and light in a world, Lord, that needs you so desperately, Father. That when things get hard, when we get questioned, when we have to make tough decisions, we stand, we put our armour on, we pursue you and we press on, Lord God. I do thank you that the same word used to describe persecution is the same word to pursue and to press on into the things of you, Lord God. And may that be our model. May that be what we do, Father. Would you stir us up, Lord God? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Would you help us become poor in spirit again to us understand how much we need you in our everyday life, Lord God? Would you help us pursue righteousness? Help us to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to be humble and meek, Lord. And I thank you that whatever, whatever opposition, whatever momentary pain we have here, your promise remains that ours is the kingdom of heaven and your kingdom is everlasting. That is the truth, Lord God. Amen.